What up, church? Matt, that was such a beautiful slice. Thank you for sharing with us what a picture of seeing the people around us and serving them can look like. And church, it is a gift to be with you today, particularly because this is a space where we get to unplug from the day-to-day grind of life and we be reminded of who God is and why we worship. And I don't know about you, but I need reminded of this often. And that's especially the case when it's been a really busy week. And a telltale sign for me uh, that's been a busy week is if uh, I start skipping meals or start eating really random stuff. So for example, recently I was running late one morning, and so I grabbed a cliff bar for breakfast. But as I was about to leave, I realized I forgot to pack my lunch for that day. So I began frantically looking around my house, looking for something to pack, and we hadn't gone grocery shopping in a while, so I'm grabbing like the most random stuff. I got another Cliff Bar, I got like a handful of beef jerky, and then like a bag of chips. And the sad thing about the bag of chips was it's like all the broken pieces that like settle at the bottom of the bag of the chips, that's the kind of chips I'm eating. And so I go through my day, one thing after another, shoving chips and jerky in my mouth when I can. And by dinner time, I'm driving my buddies Isaiah and John to their worship band practice. And John hops in the car and he's like, hey man, I, uh, I've had a really busy day today. Is it okay if I eat dinner in your car? And then he proceeds to pull out a giant red box of Cheez-Its. <laughs> and that's it. Like my man was going to smash half a box of Cheez-Its <laughs> for dinner. And I was about to call him out for that, but then Right as I was going to do that, I looked down at my feet, and those are like all the empty jerky wrappers are like right there on the ground. And in that moment, I realized I have no room to talk. So all I said was, yeah, bro, I like Cheez-Its too. <laughs> now, I, my guess is, is that some of you guys can relate to John and I, because we aren't the only people in this room that are busy. You know, many of you are working or taking classes or investing in your family or serving at H2O or all of the above. You know, for most of us, there isn't a shortage of things that take up space in our life. And if you're not sure whether you're busy or not, consider some of the following questions. Are you often in a hurry? Does your to-do list ever feel too full? Do you ever feel guilty when you take a break? Do you ever take school or work-related material into the bathroom with you? I was in a meeting with a coworker of mine, and he was like, oh, I do the opposite of that. I literally don't use the bathroom because I'm busy. I just hold it in. And everyone in that meeting paused for a moment and was like, I don't know how that's even possible, but that can't be healthy. Like, please stop working and go use the bathroom right now. So hopefully you haven't reached that level of dysfunction, but do you rush? Are you sleep-deprived? Do you have trouble resting? Show of hands here, how many of you guys would say that you are busy? So that is most of the people in this room. And so that's why we're doing this sermon series called Still Life, A Rhythm of Rest. And so for the next three weeks, we're exploring what it means to rest and how we can rest. And so as I began prepping for this sermon, I thought it would be helpful to find some statistics about how busy we are as a culture But here's the thing. The data I found was not what I expected. And here's what I mean by that. In 2017, the U.S. Bureau of Labor studied how Americans have spent time through the generations. And over the last century, the average work week has gone from 65 hours a week to 45 hours a week. 
And the average time a person spends doing household chores like cooking and laundry and cleaning has gone from 60 hours a week to 15 hours a week due to inventions like microwaves and washing machines. And yet, despite despite the decrease of uh, work hours, we are sleeping about 15 hours less each week. So if you're keeping track, on average, we squeeze out another 80 hours a week. And if you're wondering what the bulk of that time goes towards, the top three categories in order were self-care, which includes sleep, but apparently much more, leisure activity, which includes screen time and recreation, and then work. So what's going on here? Why do we feel busier than ever before? One article said it's because we are the first culture in history to derive our significance from our work. Another article mentioned an increase in the level of anxiety in our life. And with technology like messaging and emails and uh, video, we can watch anything from anywhere at any time, which means work or an escape from work is literally in the palm of our hands at any moment. And all of this creates a psychological and social pressure that we rarely unplug from. And it shows Everyday Health is an organization that researches health and wellness. And they found one in three people who visit the doctor do so for a stress-related condition. 52% of Generation Z are diagnosed with a stress-related mental health issue. And 55% of Americans would say they face a high level of stress each day at work. So here is the gist of all that data. We are working less hours, we're spending more time on self-care than ever before, yet we feel more busy and more stressed than any other generation to date. And hear me when I say this, I know many of us work hard, and I know many of us even enjoy what we get to do. And there are a few people here in this room who are working 80 hours a week or more. But the stats seem to show that our struggle to rest is less about what we do and more about how we're going about doing it. In other words, it's not so much an hours issue, it's a heart issue. There's something off, something slowly driving us to physical and mental exhaustion. And stopping work or cutting down on our hours does not seem to be fixing it. Maybe you can sense that. Maybe you can sense the way that you function is not healthy. But if you really want to know how something created is meant to function, it helps to ask its creator. I remember years ago, I got my first iPhone, and after a while, it started glitching out whenever I would try to open an app. And so I took it to the Apple store, figuring they could probably help me out. And I took it to them, and their brilliant solution was, have you tried turning it off and on? Now, back then, I was a bit skeptical, but I turned off my phone for a bit, and then I turned it on, and it actually functioned much better. Because as it turns out, many created things are hardwired for rest. And in a similar way, we'd like to put forth that God created us, and he has hardwired us with a rhythm of rest. And so today, our goal is to go back to our creator and ask three simple questions. What is rest? Why do we rest? And how do we rest? What is rest? Why do we rest? And how do we rest? So first, what is rest? We first see rest mentioned in Scripture in Genesis 2, 1, 2, 3. It says, So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. 
On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, the tricky thing for us is there are several words for rest in Hebrew, but the Hebrew word used here is Shabbat, and it means to cease, to stop. But when it says God rested, it's not because he got tired or he needed a break. Instead, it's saying God's creation was so good, so complete, so awesome that he was utterly satisfied. Creation had all it needed to thrive. So he stopped creating. And once he stopped creating, he entered into his creation to oversee it. It's like a king who has worked hard to establish his kingdom, and then he rests on his throne. He's still in control. He is still active, but he is at peace. He is at rest. And because this is a good king that we're talking about, the king's subjects need not worry. They can rest also. And so in Genesis 2.15, we see humans, God's image bearers and God's subjects, take part in rest also. But it's a different kind of rest than the one that we see mentioned before. It says, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. And the word placed in our English Bibles is a different Hebrew word for rest. It's the word nuach. And it connotates being at peace, living in a state of refreshment and joy. And so this verse is literally saying God rested humans in his creation. And as they rested, They worked, and they cultivated, and they multiplied creation, and they were refreshed by the work they were doing. And I know that seems like an oxymoron, right? Like, how can you rest and work at the same time? But you've tasted that paradox before. You know what I'm talking about. I imagine there have been times when you've fully engaged in your work and been at peace while you've done it. Maybe it's while you are taking a class and you are learning about something you really enjoyed. Maybe it's a task you were doing at home or at work and you were genuinely excited about it. And it may not have made sense to other people, but for some reason, you loved it. For instance, my wife Erica genuinely enjoys doing yard work. There's something nourishing for her to be outside in the sun and in the fresh air, pulling weeds or cutting grass or trimming bushes. And as Matt shared in his slice, Erica also sees yard work as a metaphor for how God cares for us. Like he waters us and grows us and prunes us and cultivates each of us in unique ways. And I remember when she first told me this, I could not relate at all because I do not like yard work. But I said, baby, if you find refreshment in yard work, far be it from me to get in between you and your relationship with the Lord. You can do all the yard work you want. I know I am, like, so good to my wife. Uh, But what Erica experiences in yard work, you have experienced before also, haven't you? Just because something is hard and just because something is work doesn't mean you can't find peace or refreshment in it. In fact, you may come alive through it. That's what rest was meant to be. Rest isn't just an absence of work. Real rest comes when we're walking with God, cooperating with God, trusting in God. And that can happen even when we take a break from work or even as we work. So what is rest? It's more than just not working. Rest is living at peace. 
with God, with others, with yourself. The Hebrew word for this is shalom. It's possible to experience shalom through every circumstance, trial, and work. So if rest is living at peace, we have to ask, are you at peace in this season? Are you trusting God? Are you cooperating with God? Are you walking with God? Even in the busyness, even in the stress, it's hard to do that, isn't it? Even though many of us have tasted that kind of rest, as we saw through the statistics, it's not a space we often live in, right? We'll hear more next week about why that is, but the gist of why is what we saw all throughout the King's sermon series we just finished. And it's essentially this. Humans would rather rule their own little kingdoms than cooperate with God to advance his. So God handed us over to the desires of our heart, our desires for control. And in lunging to build our own kingdoms, we introduced sin into the world. And we broke what God originally made to work so beautifully. Originally, when humans worked, it was a restful co-labor with God. But now, work is tainted with toil and stress. And as we toil and as we stress, we seek escape, we get apathetic, and we burn out. It may be through taboo things like substance abuse or lust or some other vice. Or maybe we turn to things that are a little less sinister in nature. We binge watch a show, we play a video game for hours, we get trapped scrolling our favorite app, our news feed. But just because we stop working doesn't mean that we're actually resting. And when we stop work and look to these things for rest, they often dry us out even more. There's a verse in Jeremiah 2 that puts it like this, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own broken cisterns that hold no water to refresh them. And as the data we looked at earlier revealed, most of us are not refreshed right now. We're looking for living water in broken cisterns. And so we grow weary, we check out, we give up, we get sick, and we grind until we die. But thankfully for us, ever since Genesis 3, God has been on a mission to bring all of creation into rest with him. And he demonstrates that all throughout the Old Testament. When the world was filled with evil, God gave it rest by wiping out evil through a massive flood. When the world seemed hopeless, God promised true rest was coming through the lineage of Abraham. When God's people were enslaved to Egypt, God gave them rest by setting them free. When God's people wandered in the wilderness, God gave them rest by providing them food and water. Over and over and over again, God offers people rest. And for a brief moment, when people get this rest, they remember that the Lord is the only source of true rest. But as time passes, the trials hit and the idols distract and people seek rest in broken cisterns once again. And so as a timeless reminder of our need to rest in the Lord, God gives his people these Ten Commandments in the Old Testament. And one of these commandments is to practice a day of Shabbat or a Sabbath day. It's a day to cease from work and to remember that God is the only true source of rest 
Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 are two passages that explain why we rest. But they both give a slightly different reason for why. Exodus 20 says the reason for the Sabbath is this. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That's why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. When it says God called the seventh day holy, it means that he set it apart for himself. And on that seventh day, we remind ourselves that not only does the day belong to God, but our time, our gifts, our money, our bodies, our entire life belongs to God. So from this passage, we see one reason why we rest is ultimately rest is not about you. Rest is not about you. It's a testament to God. It's an act of trust in God, trusting that God is in control. God is worthy of worship. God is our creator and sustainer. And in order to ingrain this into our minds and our hearts, the weekly Sabbath was a reminder of God's sovereignty. And in Deuteronomy 5, we see another reason why we rest. It says, remember, you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That's why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath. So the other reason why we rest is to remember and celebrate. Celebrate that just as God set Israel free from Egypt, he has set us free from the things that lead us to unrest. So going back to our second question, we asked, why do we rest? It's to remember and to celebrate. Remember that you are not in control. You are not what's keeping your world from falling apart. And to celebrate that the one who is in control has set you free, has offered you rest. Now, we all remember and celebrate something each day of our life. We often remember our to-do list. We often remember the things that are stressing us out, the things that are causing us anxiety. And we might celebrate things like holidays or birthdays. But what are you remembering and celebrating in this season of life? You may take time off, but is remembering and celebrating a habit in your life? It's a question that we need to consider as we move forward. So what is real rest? We said rest is living at peace. And that can happen whether you're working or not working. And then we asked, why do we rest? And we said, to remember and celebrate God. But how do we rest? That's going to be the focal point of next week's sermon. Because even though we know true rest is amazing, it's still hard for us to do, isn't it? So come back next week as we dive into how we rest. But we won't send you away today empty-handed. Let me give us a starting point for how we rest. And to see how we rest today, we need to go back and see how we were called to rest before. In the Old Testament, the primary way people rested was through these rhythms of the Sabbath laws. So every seventh day, God's people were called to take a day of rest. Every year, there were seven massive festivals to celebrate ways God provided rest. Every seventh year, God's people would take the entire year to rest. Every seventh set of seven years, so every 49th year, something special happened. It was called the year of Jubilee. 
And it was a super Sabbath of sorts. All debts were forgiven. All slaves were set free. All the poor were given a fresh start. All the hungry were invited to feast together. And it was a total reset, an opportunity for creation to be set free from any bondage that it had. But since it only happened every 50 years, people spent their entire life longing for that year to come. But after a while, prophets like Jeremiah and Daniel and Isaiah began letting people know, don't just long for the year of Jubilee. Long for the everlasting Jubilee that's coming. Because a day is coming when creation is going to be restored to the rest it experienced in Genesis 1 and 2. And it sounded too good to be true to people. But this idea was in the back of people's minds. So that's how people rested, living out these rhythms of rest and waiting for this greater rest that was going to come. Until one day, a seemingly insignificant Jewish carpenter stepped into his local synagogue on a Sabbath day and read these words from the prophet Isaiah in Luke 4. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Jesus unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah's words are an example of a prophet reframing the year of Jubilee as an everlasting Jubilee. And so Jesus reads these words from Isaiah, rolls up the scroll, sits down, and this is when all the eyes of the synagogue would be squarely on him. Because when a teacher sat down, that's when they would launch into the equivalent of a sermon. And we see the entirety of Jesus' sermon in verse 21. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, look, the rumors you've heard about an everlasting jubilee are true. The rumors you've heard about living at peace with God and people and yourself are true. The rumors you've heard about being set free to experience true rest, those are true. And all of it starts today because I am ushering it into existence. And from that moment on, Jesus begins giving people rest in ways that God gave his people rest. Like God gave the world rest from sin through a flood, Jesus offered the world rest from sin through a cross. Like God gave rest to those who placed their faith in the promises of Ab- to Abraham, Jesus offered rest to those who placed their faith in his promises to them. Like God gave rest to those enslaved in Egypt, Jesus offered rest to those enslaved by their demons. Like God offered rest to those in the wilderness with bread and water, Jesus offered rest to the lost by offering them the bread of life and living water. On many Sabbath days, Jesus healed and worked and provided people rest. At Passover, one of those seven festivals we talked about that each year Jews used to remember God, Jesus breaks bread on that day and says, remember his body and blood spilt for us. And in reference to the eternal jubilee, Jesus says he has come to fulfill it. Yes, God is the source of rest. And look what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, but my burden is light. Yes, God is our Lord, and he is worthy of the Sabbath, and look what Jesus says in Matthew 12. He says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so because of all this and much more, the religious elite wanted Jesus dead, and so they killed him. And on the following Sabbath day, the Lord of the Sabbath rested in the grave. But on the following day, that Sunday, he rose from the grave and he conquered sin and death. Paul describes the ramifications of this in Colossians 2. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature not being cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, we, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. Brothers and sisters, how do we experience rest? Jesus is our rest. Jesus is the way to experience peace with God and other people and ourself. Jesus is the way through which we remember and celebrate what God has done. And so if you want rest, the first and greatest step in finding rest is being made alive with Christ. It's placing your faith in him to rescue you from sin and death and give you new life. Without that first step, you will never find true rest. The Sabbath provided a shadow of the rest that Christ accomplished for us. So do we have to keep the Sabbath as a rule? No. The rule is over. Paul seems to be saying that explicitly in Colossians 2 and in Romans 14. But there's still a rhythm of Sabbath. It's still woven into all creation. In the early church, many Jewish Christians still took a Sabbath on Saturday. But many Gentile Christians did something a little bit different. They'd get together on Sundays, and that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and they would throw a massive party with music and food and singing, and they'd be together with a bunch of their friends, and they'd remember and celebrate the rest that God purchased for them at the cross. And they'd continue to remember and celebrate God all through the week until the next party on the next Sunday. And 2,000 years later, the church is meant to keep that party going and to keep that rhythm of rest going. Because if we don't, it's not that we're going to be breaking some sort of spiritual law, but the likelihood of us living at rest, living at peace, will greatly diminish. And our propensity to check out or burn out will surely increase. No matter how much time you take off, and no matter how much self-care you do. And so today, we still carve out regular rhythms of rest as reminders to ourselves and others that I can stop. Because my striving won't fix me, but I know the one who will heal me. I can rest because my efforts won't rescue me, but I trust the one who has rescued me. 
I can fight anxiety and fear because I'm not in control, but I walk with the one who is in control. Ultimately, how you carve out these rhythms of rest is up to you. But as a church, we're trying to provide spaces for you to have these rhythms of rest. We have worship services and prayer and worship nights to help us remember and celebrate God together. We have weekly teams and small groups and life groups to cultivate genuine relationships in the body of Christ. We have retreats and leadership conferences like the men's and women's retreat that are coming up this weekend to equip the saints to co-labor with God in a way that would mirror and reflect what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. And we have monthly spaces like community engagement days that Matt shared about. And even though these spaces involve an investment of time and energy and resources, they are not meant to just be to-dos on a calendar. They're opportunities for rest, opportunities to live at peace with God and people and yourself. Listen again to what Matt shared at the end of his slice. He said, God is still doing the work. In my heart, God has weeded out pride and produced perseverance. He has weeded out fear and grown trust and peace. God does the real work. And we, we have the wonderful, glorious, fulfilling opportunity to participate in that work. I don't want to see what difference I can make by serving. I want to see what God can do. That captures what we're talking about today, doesn't he? Despite rough days, And despite being busy with lots of things, you can be at rest. You can grow in trust and peace. You can take part in the wonderful, glorious, fulfilling opportunity to co-labor with God and be refreshed as you remember and celebrate what God is doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are great. You are powerful, and you are so worthy of our worship. Thank you for coming to us in the person of Jesus. Jesus, thank you for revealing the Father's heart to us. And Holy Spirit, thank you that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now living in us. And Lord, we just tell you we don't want to settle for our broken cisterns that promise rest. We don't want to be frantically busy, and we don't want to sacrifice rest on the altar of productivity. But instead, we want to encounter you. We want to encounter you this week. Lord, help us to rediscover what it means to have a rhythm of rest. Disrupt us in our busyness, Lord, so that we can see you more clearly so that we can live at peace with you and remember you and celebrate you and worship you. Lord, fill us so that we can walk in a powerful, glorifying, spirit-led rest, no matter the work that's in front of us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.